another purpose actually of the podcast was to disseminate material that people could actually take and use. So if the, the audio files or any of the video images, we're putting them out there pretty much with just a you know, Creative Commons license that basically states here, use this, give us credit. If you use it and want to send it back, we'll probably incorporate it into the piece. Welcome to Measure for Measure, new music, new thoughts, a series of conversations with movers and shakers and a few cage rattlers on the front lines of the new music universe. I'm Philip Blackburn from the American Composers Forum. We'll be talking about where old school ideas meet the new, searching backstage for handy hints that might give composers a leg up, what it means these days to compose a career, and trying to figure out the question of life, music, and everything. Please visit us online at composersforum.org slash measure for measure and share your thoughts about today's show at composersforum.gather.com. Measure for Measure is supported by the National Endowment for the Arts that believes that a great nation deserves great art. I'm talking in a site-specific, installational kind of way with Ken Steen. Hi, Ken. How are you doing, Philip? I'm doing all right. This is an interesting sort of uh, confluence of two podcasters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know who in civilization could have said that prior to five, three years ago or a few, but here we are. Potter meets Potter. That's right. Now, I'm doing it for my, my purposes to reveal to the world interesting models of what's going on out there and apparently that's not enough because we need other people who are (laughs) (laughs) even further away uh, out there doing it for artistic purposes not not just for uh, mundane information dispersal to you people out there in podland so tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to podville well my my background's as a a composer so starting off electronic music tape music um, as well as you know acoustic music as well but that's my primary background. Um, and as far as podcasting, you know, as soon as I really grasped what the medium was about, it just made so much sense to me as a, as a means to work, work with it as an artistic medium. The radio model didn't interest me as much as the artistic possibilities. I guess partly because it, it allows us to deal with time in ways that aren't, um, that we don't really have access to in, in other ways or with other media. Um, so as a composer, and in particular with the project that, that I am working on right now, it seemed to make a lot of sense to be able to disseminate music and sound and noise and video images and still images through one medium. And podcasting seemed to be you know, the way to do it. Um, and it's been, it's been working quite well. Good. It also seems to be emblematic of a slight shift from the supermarket mentality of composition, like uh, <laughs> you, you, you make it in some uh, unknown place in some unknown country and uh, just present it to the public at the very last minute, versus you open your 
your atelier door and you invite people in, warts and all, to see that's wh right. what you're up to day after day. That's right. That's right. Well, um, you know, one of the things that, that we came to with uh, the Reliquary of Labor project was that um, the, colla the collaboration between myself and Jeffrey Krieger and Gene Gort, one of the things that we wanted to do was to, be, to have our collaborative process be as transparent as possible. And you know, aside from doing site-specific residency, um, this also seemed to be a way that we could do that. And as you say, warts and all, you know, um, we're really able to put out sketches, uh, just notes, you know, things that we're writing down in our, in our journals or when we have our, you know, uh, production meetings that we're just jotting down ideas and can scan them, throw them in there. We can record our conversations. We can throw that in there too. So the picture becomes much richer. You know, it's a much richer um, portrait of what the piece is, um, how the piece is evolving. Do you find yourself <coughs> censoring or promoting a certain kind of uh, portrayal of the story as it unfolds? Or is it truly warts and all and you just sort of l let the documentation run in the background and, and you put it out there for posterity's sake? Some, you know, I do find myself hitting up against that wall. You know, should I put this on there? Should I change it first? Should I edit out certain mm -hmm. things? Um, and so that's even become part of the discipline um, of keeping it as transparent as possible. Um, we pro <laughs> probably could be showing more warts <laughs> and not editing them out. Um, but you know, in a certain respect, I'm also finding that the material that we're collecting, when it comes time to putting the material together to um, upload, becomes like another piece itself. So you know, it might be that I would combine an element that I might otherwise throw away with something else, and then it then it seems to balance. Um, but you know, some of the some of the things that we've uploaded have just been you know bits of rehearsal, or um, even just bits of uh, site-specific recording that really has no more import than anything else. But it's just we happen to be there at that time, and here's ten minutes of what we found, you know, so that it hasn't really been edited in mm -hmm. that way. Now, not only is this process documented online, but it's the result of a collaboration. Now, right. the, co the collaborative process itself is, is a world unto itself, yeah. you know, combining personalities and power structures and symbiosis and all the good things that you can't do by yourself. Right. And how's that working for you? It's been working really well. I mean, we, the, the three of us, my, myself and Jeff and, and Jean, I mean, we've got a really good working relationship. Um, I've been working with Jeffrey for, oh, I guess it's about 20 years now. And um, I've come to know Jean primarily over the last few years, but we're colleagues at the University of Hartford. We both teach. Uh, he teaches in the, um, at the Hartford Art School and I teach at the Hart School. Um, so we've known each other in other contexts. Um, but as far as the working relationship, we've been able to uh, negotiate a lot of the things um, that I think get in other people's way. It, it just seems like we're able to get over the, you know, whatever conflicts there may be um, in an artistic way. You know, that there is an artistic solution, or in some cases, it's just a practical solution. You know, but it hasn't stopped the work. If anything, I think, you know, it seems to be really supporting it. How do you find the roles working within a collaboration? Uh, sometimes collaborators really have like one person at the head, and they're really delegating functions right. to other people. Sometimes it looks much more organic, and anyone could take the lead at any moment, and they could cross disciplines into each other's domain, mm -hmm. uh, which seems to be more like a, the start of a dynamic system rather than a hierarchical one. 
Right. Is that working? It's really more way? the second. It's, it's, it's non-hierarchical. Um, we really, I mean, a lot of the process of, of the piece so far has been passing materials back and forth. So if Gene hands me a piece of video, I mean, I'm just as likely to edit the video and hand it back to him as he is to take certain musical elements or sound elements, um, combine them with video or not, or just take, you know, from the recorded materials that I've uh, gone to the site to record um, and manipulate those too. Um, the podcasting as well. I mean, in a certain sense, the, the podcast has been a little bit more hierarchical just because I'm the one that's really putting it all together. But the materials are drawn from um, elements that Jeff has played or improvised or material I've given him, you know, written material that he's then worked with or uh, rehearsed. Um, video images or photographic images that Gene has taken. I've also taken some myself. So it really is kind of mixing it all up. Mm -hmm. In the world of podcasting, in a sort of ideal world of podcasting, there's feedback from the great masses out there who tell you or, uh, what's going on or mm -hmm. what their reaction is. And uh, Do you find that kind of two-way street happening? And how do you get investment from uh, people out there in Podville? <laughs> That's just slowly beginning to happen, um, as far as the feedback part. Um, I guess partly because we're bo uh, both Gene and I are connected with the university, we've been able to sort of get some of that out through, through our students um, and through other colleagues as well. Um, we have had our podcast listed with the iTunes Music Store. You know, there have been a few reviews there, you know, um, and we've just been sending out emails, you know. So I think that's really just getting started for, for us anyway. Um, that, that system isn't quite um, lubricated enough yet, you know, that we haven't gotten um, the machine working, um, so to speak. And I think there are all different levels of how much feedback you're actually seeking. Mm -hmm. Is this just a, like a one-way information substitute for a radio or a TV update or something where it will exist over time if you're archiving this right. and people can give you feedback a hundred years from now? And <laughs> that, well, that's right. Um, one of the purposes, that, uh, another purpose actually of the podcast was to disseminate material that people could actually take and use. So if the, the audio files or any of the video images, we're putting them out there pretty much with just a you know, Creative Commons license that basically states here, use this, give us credit. If you use it and want to send it back, we'll probably incorporate it into the piece. We've had a couple of resubmissions or submissions of that material in, in that way. Um, and that's really the kind of um, dynamic that we're looking for is for people to communicate with us in, in a sound, noise, uh, music, image medium, rather than it being, oh, you know, cool site, <laughs> you know. Right, that's a very interesting sort of development, I think, maybe springs from DJ culture, where material really is sort of owned by the community, mm -hmm. and because people have the ability to sample and remix and send on and add to YouTube or yep. add a beat to or whatever they feel like doing, Composition becomes a process of addition, almost, or commentary. That's right. And it, it, it is never finished. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, you know, that, that's even how we're viewing the, the premiere performance of, of the larger work, is that um, as the podcasts have been disseminated and we've gotten some material back, and as we're working with the material of the construction of the piece, um, I should say of the art piece, because we're doing this really in, in collaboration with the New Britain Museum of American Art, and they've just completed, or nearly completed, uh, a new facility. Um, it's their centennial this, uh, actually last year, but this is their centennial year. Um, and um, 
So our piece is really a, an art analog to the construction of their building, of their facility. So as these pieces come, come in, whether it's us working with the, with the site recorded materials or other people responding to them as well, that will either, either will or won't be incorporated into the premiere performance, which you know, becomes more like a traditional performance moment. Uh, but even that's up, you know, we might do multiple performances and each one would probably end up being a bit different. Um, we'll have to see how that goes. As one of the outcomes, do you expect those people who've been following the process of this to increase your audience at that event? We hope so. <laughs> um, it, you know, part, when you mentioned before about community and community owning um, in some way, or at least having a vested interest in material. Um, and that's another way that, that, that the art museum as a community uh, facility or a community-based uh, art museum um, that we're finding influence and inspiration from that, that the materials that are there aren't just there, you know, off in some room. Um, it's inviting people of the community to come in and view the, view the art, you know, interact with the art, interact with other people interacting with the art. And, and that way putting this out in a virtual space allows us to do the same thing that reaches farther, you know, beyond just the New Britain community or the Hartford area community or, or Connecticut. You know, so in that way, the, the, the community ownership and the dialogue with the community uh, in an art medium, particularly, I mean, it could include text, <laughs> um, but that's not the primary, the primary mode that we're really seeking. We're looking to engage people in sound and noise and image. Now, you're working on a very specific community-based, site-specific project right. and doing all these wonderful feelers out into Cyberland. Do you think that's a model that could be adapted for anyone working on a creative project. If I'm going to write my opera in my attic, is there a benefit to like telling the world about the creative process? Well, I think there can be. I don't know if it would be applicable to, you know, every project. Mm -hmm. But it, it opens up another kind of possibility that I mean, the thing that we really came to in this with uh, the construction of this piece is that too often the, the performance moment is what's given the greatest amount of importance. And, you know, I mean, in, in this day and age where pieces might get performed once or maybe a few more times, can we really say that that's the most important moment? Um, in some cases, I think it is. Now, but in others, I think um, going through a kind of process that's open to the public changes the nature of the work. Um, it engages the public in a different way. It also, I think, engages the artist with the work in a different way because it puts a kind of public, I don't know whether it would really be spotlight, but it, it, the door is open. <laughs> you know, it's not like just being in the garret or the white tower, the ivory tower or wherever, you know, sequestered away and the doors open. Um, and I think it would change the nature of the work. Um, I know f as a composer, sometimes I need to just be sequestered. I don't want interruptions. Um, but with work like this, I think the dynamic changes and my ability to engage with um, a pre-performance audience um, affects the work. You know, I need to be open to that. As, as an artist, I need to be open to that. It's actually a business model uh, that we featured on this series called uh, Artist Share, which had the same realization when artists are being sort of bought out by major record labels and they're mm -hmm. losing their rights. The, the financial situation is not good for them and the labels are trying to clamp down on the file sharing thing. 
Brian Camilio of Artist Share realized, well, the, if you can't sell CDs or tracks anymore, mm -hmm. what value is there that you can sort of sell? Mm -hmm. Well, a glimpse into the creative process is something that many people would be fascinated by. So he's provided a technology and a forum whereby, say I have a recording project I want to do, I've got a certain budget that I need to raise. Well, I have a, a fan base out there, it may be small, but it can always be increased each of whom can contribute a smaller amount of money mm -hmm. in return for which they get daily updates of privileged exclusive information, MP3 commentaries and kind of a daily blog and some videos and stuff. So they get a glimpse into sort of looking over the creative person's shoulder right. during the process and, th and there's still an outcome at the end, but the actual monetary value has been totally placed on the process. Mm -hmm. And so that's nice that there's this uh, similar sort of parallel arrangement that you've got here as well. Right, and, and I think that it, it makes some sense. Um, I mean, we're not really there that with with the uh, the commerce part of it, the e-commerce part of this project, but I can certainly see where in the future that makes a, a great deal of sense um, for myself and you know for the others involved in this project. That you know there is something to be pursued there, and that the process is. I mean, the process to me has always been a very important part of any artwork that I've been involved in, and this gives us a way to really not just capitalize in the real sense, but um, make best use of the process. And, and even focus more on the process, you know, that it's not just the final result that is the absolute most important thing. And that's one thing that he brought up, is the quality that results from this intense focus on the process as it goes along actually results in a, in a better performance, CD, recording, whatever it may be. All the aspects that go into it have been so carefully scrutinized. You, Psychologically, the artist feels responsible to the fan base That's or the right. unknown public or whoever. Or you downloaders out there. That's right. And, <laughs> and you keep us on our toes. That's right, guys. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Can you tell us a little bit about the specifics of the, of the site and uh, what that project is? Because sure. in olden days, you could have done this <laughs> just by going to the site <laughs> and, and putting on a show. That's right. Um, okay, so the project is called Reliquary of Labor. Um, it's in collaboration with the New Britain Museum of American Art and uh, Jeffrey Krieger on an electronic cello. Uh, Gene Gort is a media artist. Um, the Quay Percussion Duo. Uh, percussion Duo. Um, and um, let's see, Leif Ellis, who is working with us with uh, real-time sensor integration, um, physical computing and, and things like that. Um, the project came about because it is the centennial of the museum and they wanted to commission a work to celebrate the opening of the new facility. And we thought with, well, when we were presented with that, that since it was their centennial, you know, moving into the future, they started off life as a very small, in the basement of a, you know, of a house, um, uh, art league, you know, 100 years ago, and have grown into, a, I think, a pretty um, major uh, American art depository. And now they're moving into the future in the, in with the same kind of, um, the same kind of energy. Um, so we thought that it, it, would, it would make sense to document the construction of the new building, the demolition and renovation of the old building, um, and incorporate those images and sounds along with music that would be composed in and around and influenced by that. Um, when I say music composed, that would be for the you know, percussionist and the electric cello, although the electric cello is also being used to trigger other sounds and noises that were collected from the site. Um, so the, the, the majority of the, the visual material and the audio material are coming directly from the process of the building of the new museum facility. 
Um, and and that's, that's pretty much the, the premise of the, of the materials. Um, in more of a conceptual way, you know, we're seeing it as a way to both honor and give some kind of um, acknowledgement to labor, um, the many kinds of labor that are involved in such a large undertaking. Um, the people who have to, you know, who, who acquire these skills and become very skilled and are able to do this stuff. I mean, I had never really spent much, sight of, uh, much time on a construction site at all, you know, the occasional uh, home maintenance kind of thing. Um, but, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing what, how these buildings get built, how they get taken apart and put back together again. Um, you know, the kinds of actions, the kinds of things that you find down in the basement while they're working, you know, putting, putting this thing on. So, you know, it's also connected with the people uh, and then also, of course, the community that's building the building. Um, so it does have a very, very clear community basis for the, you know, part of the nature of the work. Um, and that's, I guess, what really led us to the, the podcasting, you know, which just seemed to allow it to open out, uh, I mean, to the world. <laughs> you know, I mean, it sounds, it almost sounds, um, I don't know, too big of a way of talking about it, but it does allow access from anywhere to some of the materials. Yeah, actually, that brings up a nice, fine distinction, I guess, between as you're documenting the process of creating this, you're also surrounded by the people who are kind of contributing to right. it, whether, whether they know it or not, by the That's sound right. of their hammers and so forth. And it would be easy to extend it into like interviewing those people for the sake of posterity as mm -hmm. well. And so maybe that's years from now, someone will say, that's my grandpa who built <laughs> that right. building that's still standing there. That's right. So it's a sort of a blurred distinction between what's documentary, what's uh, uh, about the piece and what is the piece itself. Yeah. Um, one part that we haven't been able to get to yet, uh, which was something we had hoped to get to before the, the performance uh, at the end of November, is to document, um, you know, have some interviews with docents and some of the construction workers and just people in the community to get that kind of uh, response from them, whether it's just, you know, people who remember when it was just the smaller space uh, in the Lander's house. Um, the, the kind of public reaction to this new big facility, <laughs> you know, that just kind of comes plunking down out of the sky and what is otherwise a, it's a residential area. Um, you know, just get that kind of perspective on it too. So we're hoping to be able to acquire some of that. It may, it may end up being, you know, after the, pr the premiere of the, the performance, but just having the premiere doesn't mean that the piece is over. I think that's the other thing with podcasting that allows us to, to have a resonation, you know, both like a pre-resonance, presonance, I don't know what to call it. <laughs> pre-echo. A pre-echo, yeah, there you go. Um, and then to have some kind of resonance after the fact that it, it allows us to continue to put material out, out into the ether, out into the air. Will you continue that indefinitely or until the money runs out? <laughs> until you run uh, well, things? the money may have already run out. Okay. Um, <laughs> but we are planning on continuing performances. So to, to the extent that we can find uh, sponsors to sponsor additional performances, what we would like to do is to connect that, to connect those additional performances with a continued podcast. Right now, I'm making daily, uh, daily episodes. So um, that in leading up to the, to the November 26th premiere, I think is, it's an important discipline, I think, for me in, in the creation of this work. Following the premiere, I think it'll be a little less intensive, you know, so maybe they'll be weekly. 
Um, but I think you know we've been we've had two pre preview performances, uh, one in April, one in August. We've recorded and videotaped both of those and have used that material primarily for podcasting purposes. So from the premiere performance, we'll be and during the residency week at the museum that we'll be having, we'll be recording and documenting that, and then that would become part of the the resonance, um, and hopefully that would lead into another another performance. And where can people go to find out more about this project? Uh, www.reliquaryoflabor.org. That's spelled the American way. Like B O R, isn't it? B O R. Oh, uh, labor. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, labor. labor. <laughs> Just in case you're listening out there in Manchester or something. Right. The other Manchester. I mean, the you, other you Manchester. Know, you know where I mean. <laughs> Not labor. And you know That's how to right. spell reliquary. Ken Steen. We hope. <laughs> good luck and thanks very much. Thank you very much, Philip. Pleasure to be here. Thank you.